Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at content from our earlier years, sometimes single stories, sometimes whole episodes. Keep in mind that years ago, people might have worded things differently than they would today. As always, the title of the whole series, Risk, is itself a content warning. This week, an episode that premiered in September of 2011, it's an episode we call Backlash. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. That was Beautiful Vision up top. That was the very first song anyone ever wrote for our show. And this is Ill Gates behind me now. Well, today's show is called Backlash. These are stories where people acted out and then it came right back in their faces. And we're going to start with just an amazingly wonderful guy. I only spent about a day or so with him, but I love him. (laughs) His name is Adam Savage, and he is the co-host of the Discovery Channel's very popular show, Mythbusters. We call Adam's story, What Made Everything Better. So this story begins, well, see, I debated whether or not to tell a drug story or an alcohol story, but since I work for a large corporation, I have never done drugs. (laughs) At my yearly physical, I checked no. But I did have a dark time with alcohol. Uh, Back in the spring of 2002, 
Two things happened to me at the same time. One, I got divorced, and two, I got this show on the Discovery Channel. And this perfect storm coalesced to force me to drink heavily every night for several weeks. Um, the beginning of the real dark time begins with a hangover. I know it usually starts before that, but the night before the hangover was just so lovely, it really doesn't seem like a dark time. I was with all these British people who made me feel smart just because they were laughing at my jokes. And you know the kind of drunk you get where you're really playful and you... you, you well, so I, here's what I did. I got really playful and I felt like I was 10 years old. And we were in another country and I had gone out that day and bought a new suit. And I got drunk enough to go away and put it on and come back and show people. <laughs> it was really cute. And I woke up with the mother of all hangovers. Like, I've, you know, sometimes you wake up and you don't know if it's going to be bad. And this time, I didn't know if it was going to be bad. You sort of sort of wait, have that Bukowski moment, trying to, how's the day going to go? And, and then you kind of get up and somebody makes greasy eggs with bacon. So you think it's all going to be great and it's just not. And that's when you know it's really going to get bad. And we ended up having to go to the airport that day. And it's just shades of, it's like Dantean journey into into this hangover to the point where we arrive at the airport and I've been sleeping in the back of this 15 pass van all the way to the airport and I open the door and it basically kind of, I'm conscious that we're at the airport, I open the door and vomit right out the door right in front of the check-in part of the airport. And we get into the plane, I'm sitting there and it's occurring, it's, I'm realizing that I'm, uh, that wasn't the throw up that makes everything better. There's another one. And the only question is, will it happen after we've gotten to 10,000 feet? Or does it need to happen before they've closed the door? It can't happen in the middle. I mean, it can, but it can't happen in the middle. So I'm just sitting there in my chair. My friend next to me tries to talk. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm just trying to concentrate on this moment. Do I need to go now? Do I need to stay? I don't know. And I'm just waiting. And I'm, but finally I realize I got to go. So I go into the bathroom and I close the door. And immediately upon entering the door, I realize I need to take a shit. It's the, the Australians call it the post-grog bog. And I need to do one fiercely, but I'm also about to throw up. So I'm presented with this choice as to which end of me to deal with the bowl first. And I decide that it's probably the bog. So I sit down and unleash this very loose hell. And the smell is so bad, I immediately have to throw up. There's a term for what almost happened to me, which is called the rooster tail. <laughs> and then everything was better. So I got back to San Francisco, and I'd been awarded this show, and everything seemed like it was going to be great. We shot the pilot, so it was very exciting. Everyone was very excited. But in the six months between shooting the pilots and us actually commencing filming the show, 
I didn't have any work and I didn't have any money. I knew this it was coming. I knew there was going to be some awesome stuff coming, but it was a really dry period from an employment standpoint. One of my very good friends at the time was a bartender at the Lone Palm, and she basically kept me in alcohol and mental health for a good portion of that time, but I was really, really, really drinking way too much. When you, when you know where the cleaning agents in the bar you drink in are so you can help them clean up because they've locked the doors and you're inside, you're probably drinking too much. And so there's this night towards the end of that summer where I, yeah, so I was single and I was a fucking basket case. I was sleeping around a lot, trying to sleep around a lot more than I was. And uh, I was dressing in ways that only men without a strong hand of a woman dress, <laughs> making bad choices all around. I decided to head out one night to the Palm and I put on my matrix coat. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's not even one step removed from the Renaissance Fair. I might as well have just worn a suit of armor. And I thought, I'm going to get fucked up tonight. I don't think I want to drive. I don't think I want to walk. And I know that, hold on, it might be one of my kids. No, it's not. Um, and I know that, I, look, it's, it's only about 10 blocks from the Palm, but I figure I'll take the bicycle. That'll be brilliant. I'll take the bicycle, lock it out front. I have some problems on the way because the Matrix coat kept, keeps getting caught in the back wheel. Things Neo never had to deal with. <laughs> Keep on hoping no one sees. I get there. I drink all night. I stay till they close. I help them clean up. I hit on the bartender. Doesn't go. And so I get on my bike and I start riding back home. Now, at this point, I was living on, you know when you take uh, Guerrero all the way out and it starts to become San Jose and then it goes to that 280 on-ramp. It's like this, there's like these hills on the side. And I lived up there off next to one of those bridges. And so I'm riding my bike up this little dark path on the side of this, this hill. And I don't remember the actual moment of just giving up and falling off the bicycle. <laughs> onto the hill. What I remember was coming to on an angle with a bicycle still here, like a, like a bas relief. And I'm thinking, this, this is not right. I take stock and I realize, oh, I live over there. Okay. All right, let's see what I'm going to do here. So I start trying to move, and those hills... They're not real natural hills. There's, there's like, they're like chicken wire and vermiculite. There's nothing to climb on. And I start trying to move, and I, I'm not moving. It's not happening. It's not going to happen with the bike, and I know if I leave the bike. There's like, there's this string of guys who buy something um, that are like 40 feet from me. I'm pretty sure someone's just watching me thinking, you know this might be a good payday. So I know that I've got a limited amount of time and I don't want to leave the bicycle there, so I pull out, I never don't have this, I pull out a little flashlight to kind of, you know, gain stock of where I am and then somehow I lose the flashlight. Like, now I don't have the flashlight. So, wait, I've got something else that makes light. I pull out my cell phone. I use that to try and take, and then I lose my cell phone. Now I'm starting to get desperate. And I'm also really tired and I, this bicycle is still between my legs, and I think, maybe I should just take a little nap. <laughs> really, this large part of me is telling me that a nap will make everything better. 
And at that point, this little man runs out from the back of my brain, this little homunculus of sensibility, and he says, Do not go to sleep! If you sleep on this hill in the middle of the night because you're drunk, you will have to go to rehab. Because that's a fucking stupid choice, dude. <laughs> Only a drunk asshole who does not know self-control would sleep on the side of a hill. <laughs> that, that sounds pretty sensible. And then I pull out my inner Bruce Banner. I hurl the bicycle up over the embankment and manage to climb back home to discover that I've also lost my keys. <laughs> But somehow, in some weird MacGyvery matrix sort of combination, I've brought my garage door opener. <laughs> so like Fonzie, I touch my pocket and the garage door opens and I walk into salvation. I stopped drinking. I didn't drink for uh, two months. And uh, a month after that, I met the woman that would become my wife and is still sitting over there. So. It has a happy ending. Thank you very much. Why don't we do it in the road? This is Risk. Uh, we just heard that little trippy version of Why Don't We Do It in the Road. That was Jeff Barr putting that together from a couple of YouTube videos, a couple of covers. Our next story comes from the gorgeous and hilarious Jenny Slate. You may know her from Saturday Night Live. We call this one Avenging Angel. feelings for everything. I have hurt feelings all the time. I'm super sensitive and as a comedian like that is just total death. Um, but I, I live with it I, and I, I have hurt feelings for other people so I can't imagine taking revenge. And then when I thought about what I would say, I realized that I've been really learning the art of revenge for my entire life. Really for my entire life. And the first, I'm going to talk about three things. The first um, 
was when I, I'm from Boston and I grew up in a really conservative Jewish household. It was Yom Kippur, which I don't know if there are any fellow Jews out there, but it is the Day of Atonement. Um, you, and like, you have to say sorry for everything. The way I understood it was that you have to say sorry for everything, otherwise God can kill you. By sundown. <laughs> By sundown. It's like literally so intense and like obviously there's a part of you that's like this is the 90s what's up the lord like just let me do it and then you're like that's something i should be sorry for also <laughs> like i'm fucked and i had so many things to say sorry for so we were in temple all day long like not the reform synagogues where it's like shorter and easier to like actually maybe pray it's like eight hours of you have no idea what's going on and all the songs are like and you're just like "Ah!" you're so scared you're so fucking scared and you're starving you're starving and everybody has the worst breath because they didn't eat anything and they ate like fucking brisket the night before so it's like just a fucking load digesting and they're all a billion years old and they're like how are you you got so big and you're just like stop spitting on me god oh so anyway my parents were in the big room and one of my sisters and I were in the junior congregation, which is this like shitty little shit thing in the temple. You have to like sit there. And so we're sitting there and I have no attention span. Like even as like a fake lady, I now I'm like, I just can't, I cannot pay attention. It's really hard for me. So the girl behind us in the row was kicking my sister's seat and I just did not like that. So, but I never had a confrontation and I was like a super, super wimpy pussy when I was little because I was really, really little, littler than the other kids. And also my sisters and I went to private school and everyone else in the Hebrew school went to public school. So they thought we were some kind of like, you know, like we read Oliver Twist in our sleep or something. Like they thought we were really spoiled, I guess. Um, I don't know if that makes you spoiled, but... um, (laughs) I was, like, I would, you know, like, priss and preen a little bit, and I, like, played the violin, and I would just be, like, just, like, bring it around, and, like, would bring great expectations around, because it was, like, super thick, but I never read it until college, but anyway, um, anyway, so, this fucking girl's kicking my sister's seat, so I turn around, I'm, like, can you, oh, I also had a horrible speech impediment until I was 16 years old, so I was, like, can you please stop kicking her seat? And this girl was like such a beast. And she had this umbrella. You know those umbrellas that like the heads are a duck? Does anyone know what that is? It's like the handle is a duck head. Yeah. So she's sucking on this duck head. And she just looks at me and she's just like, I'm like, "Mm, okay. And also, I was kind of snobby. And in my head, I was like, ugh, this plebeian. Like, I was like, ugh, she's so gross. You know, I would never do that. So I turn around, I'm like, mm. I look at my sister, and I'm like, okay. And then she starts kicking again. So I'm like, okay. Turn around, and I'm like, will you please stop kicking my sister's feet? And she just sucks on her duck. She sucks it. I'm like, ah. 
So I turn around again. I'm like, I don't even know what to do because also if the cantor catches us talking, like he's going to tell the fucking Lord to kill me or whatever with lightning. <laughs> I'm like, okay, 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 okay. So kicking, more kicking. I turn around. I'm like, do you like to suck your duck? <laughs> and my sister's starts crying. She immediately starts crying. She's like, this is, we are in so much trouble. And then this fucking girl behind me, no joke, looks at me. She's just like, and I'm like, what is about to happen with this public school kid? And she hopped a loogie onto my face in the middle of Yom Kippur. Okay. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, Ew, and also it was the fasting spit, so her spit like smelled, you know, it smelled so bad. And I was like, oh God, oh God. And I, it was so hot and it was so big. And I was like, how did, like, first of all, how did she make that, you know? And I'm like, oh, and her brother started laughing. And I was like, should I call her a bitch right now? But like, I've never said a swear before ever. And I really had heard them like in the movies, but I never, my mom had said shit. One, like a few times that she would always say it in like a British accent because she knew she like, sh she'd like, oh shit. <laughs> like, I don't know, that's not a British accent, but <laughs> I'm a professional comedian. I can't do accents, that was bad. Um, so I'm like, should I say, oh shit. I'm like, should I say, um, should I say something? And I couldn't, because I didn't want God to kill me, honestly, I didn't want him to do it. So I just said, you, you are this. Disgusting. And you look like a raven, and your brother looks like a chocolate chip. And they just were like, What? They didn't even care. They didn't even care. And my sister was crying, and it was horrible. And I was like, So fucking pissed about it. I was so mad. And I told my mom what happened. I'm like, Jeffrey, what's his face? His ugly sister spit on me in junior congregation. And if the Lord doesn't get her, it's not fair. Because I was apologizing. My mom was like, and it was after sundown. And she was like, well, he has all year to do it. <laughs> like, like maybe, it'll maybe this child will die. My mom was like trying to console me. <laughs> and, uh, but then, of course, because I'm me, I was like, wait, hold on. It's not just till sunset. I could also die. Like, P.S., we can all also die. I could die right now. Get ready for it. Like, that's so... Dumb. Makes me really mad that I was so scared as a kid. But anyway, so I just felt so angry. And also, they would always like make fun of me on the run, if, and then like jump into their mom's van and like roll away. And it just it hurt my feelings so badly. And then, so I thought to myself, I'm kind of like a wimp, and it's just not my thing. It's not my thing to like ha do comebacks. Whatever, I suck. Fast forward. After college, I had this. I don't know how to. I don't know how to put it nicely, but she was the biggest bitch, and I am surprised that she is not dead right now, just from being such a horrendous bitch. And we lived together because two people were like, "Oh, you went to college together. You'll like her. She's nice or something." And that she was. She was like chill. That was her persona. Like, yeah, that's chill. But in fact, that was to cover up for the fact that she was like, like she just was like major tight ass bitch. And she would do things like make me pay for like a, like a tablespoon of her all natural peanut butter if I ate it. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, she would, she would make me, I like, she didn't want to live where we lived because she thought it was too expensive, so I was like, I'll pay $100 more, which was like really dumb for me to do that. And also, 
because I am a young Jewess and I'm living away from my family, they sent like every piece of like that you would ever need in a home, like 50 million salad spinners and cheese graters and whatever. So she was using all my stuff, but she would like make me pay for if I use too much toilet paper or whatever. And I ended up just buying all the toilet paper because I guess like I have heavy duty shits or whatever. And I would like use a lot. And one night she even came back super, she was really mean to me too and really condescending about my lifestyle because I was like, I'm like, you know, like a struggling performer, uh, like continue to be, you know, like just, I was trying to make a living as a, as a comedian. And she came back really wasted one night. She threw up in the bathtub, which I'm just like, handle it. You know what? Like, I know how to barf and I barf into the toilet and I like, it's so fucking easy. I don't even get that. She comes home and she's like, like throws up everywhere. <laughs> I'm like, not to, I'm like, I'm not your maid, you know? I felt so annoyed at it. And I go into the bathroom, I'm like, so-and-so, are you okay? And she's like, uh, can you take my bra off? And I was like, can I take your bra off? Uh, yeah, I can. So I did. I took her bra off and like all her clothes because that's what she wanted. <laughs> and like carried her to her room, put her in her bed. She never said thank you or anything. So she keeps charging me for like weird shit in the house and bringing things up. I'm like, I can't handle it. And also at the time I had this really aggressive boyfriend who as I've put it many times before, had literally no respect for me and hated me so much, but he would be like, you can't let her disrespect you, you know? But like, then he would be like, I can look at porn whenever I freaking want. And then I'd be like, I don't know, I don't know you. Um, so he's like, deal with it. So she pushed me to the brink and I decided that if she was gonna penny pinch with me, don't challenge a Jewish lady to penny pinching because I will literally tally it up, you know what I mean? So I was like, okay, I am gonna fucking go ape on you right now. The couch had been purchased for me by my Nana and I decided that she shouldn't use the couch. But I, I also thought that since I had purchased the kitchen table, that she shouldn't use that either. So I dismantled the kitchen table and I put it on the couch and then I took all of the toilet paper and I put it under the, um, under the kitchen table and I took down the shelves from the wall and um, like the toothpaste out of the bathroom, everything, and I just put it on the couch. Just everything there, just a big pile. You're not gonna use any of my things if you're such a jerk. And then she came in and I was awake and I shut off my lights and I was like, <laughs> like the adrenaline from just doing this crazy bitch thing that I did. I was like, oh God, oh God. And she came in and she just walked into the living room and she goes, what the fuck? And then, and I was like, oh no, now she knows I did that. You know, like nobody did that. Nobody else did that. So the next day she's like, um, she was so passive aggressive. She's like, um, Jenny, just a question. Um, what's the um, deal with the couch with the table on it and all the toilet paper? And I was like, oh shit, I should have said like, you're such a bitch, I want, I want to kill you. But instead I was like, oh, I'm moving. But I wasn't. And then I had to leave. And then I was like, I'm leaving because I'm going to go. So um, thank you. And I have to go. And she was like, you can't leave. And I said to her, why? You don't even like me. And she was like, well, it's breaking the lease. I could sue you. And then I 
like found myself in this position where I was like, I'm gonna fight her, but all that did was that I just turned into like Susie Essman and I just went, so sue me. <laughs> and then I just left. But she told all of our friends about what had happened and they were all like, I heard this weird story from so-and-so that um, you took the whole house and put it in a pile. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I did. Because she's a bitch, right, guys? She's such a bitch. And everyone was like, yeah, she is. But you should, like, take yourself to the police station. Like, you're so psycho. And then I just was like, she never got what she deserved. And I went way over the line. Like, with the spitter, that was under the line. With her, it was over the line. But then I heard that... I really hope nobody like personally knows me here or knows her, but that she is she's an architect and that she was designing a um a home that was like a firehouse and she fell down the hole the pole hole. <laughs> and she broke her pelvis and I guess now she can't fuck. Um <laughs> Which really is the ultimate revenge. Um, so I, I thought, like, have I ever gotten it exactly right? And I will say that this isn't normal, but I have gotten it right, and it's it's sort of an ongoing thing. I had a party on um, on um, Rosh Hashanah, and which is the Jewish New Year, and I don't observe at all. I'm not. I I am I am agnostic, but I like to celebrate the holidays because I like the food and like I don't know being in charge and. Um, <laughs> So I had like all my friends over for this Rosh Hashanah party, which was obviously not wild. It was like me, 14 gay guys, and my upstairs neighbor. <laughs> and so we um, had this party, blah, blah, blah. It was really fun. It was a Friday night. So the next day, 6 p.m., this woman carrying a Shih Tzu rings my doorbell. I come out, and I was holding my dog, Reggie. And she's like, uh, are you the person who was having a party until five in the morning last night? I'm like, um, yes, ma'am, that was me, that was me. Hi, I'm Jenny. She's like, well, it was very rude. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, it was a Friday night. She's like, yeah, well, some of us work. And I was like, mm, okay, well, it, not to challenge you, but it was a Friday night, so, you know, the weekend night. And she's like, well, you were, you, were, you were up until two in the morning. Okay, some of us work. I'm like, no, I know, I get that, I get that. But, um, again, you know, whatever. She's like, well, it's very rude. I'm like, what? She's like, I'm going to ring your doorbell at 2 in the morning. I called the police on you. I'm like, now? She's like, yes, I just called them. And I'm like, well, I'm not making any noise. And she's like, well, just don't be surprised when somebody rings your doorbell at 2 in the morning. I'm like, ma'am, please stop threatening to ding-dong ditch me, okay? She's like, oh, I'm not threatening you. I'm not threatening you. And I'm like, yeah, you are. You're saying you're going to ring my doorbell at 2 in the morning and then run away. And then I was holding my dog, and I'm like, and I'll have you know that if my doorbell rings at 2 in the morning, the police will be at your door. And then she was like, oh, and I was like, oh, and then I slammed the door. And then I was, and then she made her whole block sign a petition against me that was like, Miss Starks, which is not my name, first of all, idiot, is too loud, okay? Like, thank you for acting like I'm a teenager, but I am 29 years old, so, you know, I can do whatever the fuck I want. So, so she did this, and everybody in the block's like, oh, that's the girl who loves to, like, party and fuck, which is, like, so rude and not even true. So then, my revenge to her, which has been going on for like over two years, is that when I walk my dog Reggie by her house in the middle of the night, I let him 
poop in, right on her front walk and I don't pick it up. So the point of the story is, I know how to do it, I do it in silence, and it stinks. So don't make me mad. Thank you. Sorry, listen. Just stop the flick of spitting. I don't like being spat at. This is Go Home Productions, mashing up Madonna and the Sex Pistols there. Uh, people often tell me that my my so-called gay card should be revoked because I have absolutely no interest in people like Madonna. But uh, put the Sex Pistols behind her and uh, it gets my attention. Our last story today comes from... Two people that I just love. I think I've said that about, about everyone on the show today. Fuck it. I love everyone. Randy and Jason Sklar, I have known them since back in the old Luna Lounge days in the mid-90s. They are just endlessly hilarious and really sweet guys, too. They have an amazing podcast called Small... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sklarboro Country. Very popular show, very funny show, lots going on there. And just a little shout-out of Henderson to uh, all the Sklarbro fans. Oh, I should mention that uh, the audio quality on this file is not so great because uh, we were just having trouble that night. There are places where it distorts, so you might have to make some adjustments in your own little device there. We call this one... Independence Day. Hello. Hi. Hi, guys. So, uh, we are not the only twins that do comedy. We, uh, and the way we found out is, is kind of a, a crazy story. We were in L.A., this is a while ago. We were out at a, a bar, uh, at a restaurant at a bar, and there was a, our waitress came over and just started making small talk with us. And, you know, she was kind of like flirting with everyone at the table. And uh, she's like, what do you guys do? What do you? And we're like, we're comedians. And she was like, wait, are you twins? We're like, how did that come up like second for you? <laughs> Yes. Like, yes, we are twins. And she's like, what's your last name? What's your name? She just said, what's your name? We said the Sklar. Sklar Brothers. Randy Sklar, Jason Sklar. And, and then she like gave us a weird like, oh, like a God. freak out look. 
And we were like, well, that's a weird reaction. Just, just from hearing our names, not knowing anything we've ever done before, but knowing that we're comedians, but just hearing what, what just happened. And she was like, I uh, am dating, or just finished dating, a guy who is a twin, and he and his brother are comedians, and all day long they sit around and badmouth you guys. <laughs> each other we were like that's awesome that's right. yeah. You don't know what to do with that information. You just love it, and you just think it's fantastic. It's kind of like, you know, someone's got a hit out on us. You know what I mean? It's like exciting in a weird way. And uh, fast forward then to a couple months later, uh, we're going to an audition, and it's for the role of twins, which we hate twin auditions. I, I, I hate it. It's, it's part of the, you know, double-edged sword of our career. You know, we are twins, and we have to acknowledge that, but at the same time, we're striving to be something different. We realize that's what makes us unique, but at the same same time that that's sometimes the way the industry sees you. It's and it confines you and it's something that we're not always, we can't control it, obviously we're twins, but we're not always, we want to be individuals. So, so we go to this audition. With those feelings surrounding us. Yeah, so there's an ambivalence, we show up at the audition and you have to sign in on a sign-in sheet. And we look in the sign-in sheet, two names above us. The Leatherberries. It's them! The, the guys who hated us. They're there. They're there, they're at the, and apparently not yet, have they, they haven't gone in yet. So like, we're looking around to kind of subtly see who they are and, and where they're just are. like, we gotta fucking hide behind a ficus plant. Do something <laughs> just, cause I'm afraid I'm gonna get punched in the face. Right. Like that's my first thought. So, but we kind of don't see them around. We're like, and now all of a sudden we see a pair of, four, four, four two pair. pair, two pair of mandals. Matching mandals. Matching mandals. <laughs> And then like a ribbed, like ribbed, ribbed mock turtleneck short sleeve. Armani, Armani exchange. exchange. Like very like wealthy shirt type boys, medium shirts for like adult men who were tanned, good looking. Because all they did, they sat around apparently and said like, why are these guys doing comedy? Like, they're, not as, they're not as good looking as we are. <laughs> yes, I agree with you 100%. They're not. No argument. No argument here. No arguments. We're like, that has to be the leather race. Okay, so they go in to do their audition, and like the worst thing that could ever happen in an audition is you do your audition and they're like, okay, thanks. And then they come out. And literally it was like as if the door was a revolving door. So they walk in and then they walk One second later, they're right out of this audition. And we're like, that couldn't have gone well. So we're like, all right, fellas, take it easy. And we're thinking they're gonna leave, then one of them kind of like magically disappears for a second, and then he appears behind me. I don't know how they did that. That's amazing. And crazy. I feel his hot twin breath on my neck. And he's like whispering. I don't know why he had to whisper. So over and over again, because I think he obviously knew who we were. First of all, before that point, yeah, before that point, they kind of got really, they started aggressively complimenting us. That's how we knew they hated us. Yeah, they were like, oh. and, you know, the way someone aggressive, like, you guys are doing really yeah, well. Yeah, well, things are going great for Things, you. Yeah, we're not as good as you guys. We don't yeah. audition all the time. Yeah, you guys are doing great. Hope it keeps going yeah. well. It really goes it's well. It's like someone, good. like, pointing at you in the heart. Like, punching you in the chest. <laughs> with a thumbs up. So, so the one guy disappears in his twin, hot twin breath on the back of his neck. And, and he goes, uh, so you guys, uh, you guys blaze up? You smoke weed? Blaze up? You smoke some of that weed? You smoke some of that weed? Like, over and over again. Like, you don't have to ask it 12 times. Yeah. Yes, yes, we smoke pot in our time. Fine. Yes, we have. That's He's like, uh, you guys should come over to our house, which we were like, red flag right there. <laughs> our house. You're 40 and you still live together. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> it's 
still in the same house. That's you know, strange. speaking about independence, like that is a total lack of independence. Exactly. Uh, and so they were like, you guys should come over to our house, uh, watch the Trinidad and De La Hoya fight. Uh, and we'll blaze up some of that bomb chronic. We're like, hold on. Whoa. <laughs> you guys can't say the word bomb chronic. That's just that term. You ruined it for me. I now can no longer listen to Dr. Dre. Uh, I, I can't even watch Are We There Yet. Any of them, uh, that's, but that's for other reasons. That's for other reasons. Totally so, I'm just mad at anything connected to chronic. And all right, so. So, and, and then they, they handed us their business card. And then they walk out in their mantles and disappear into the day. Right. So, uh, Randy and I are left with this card, and we were sort of like, I, I, my first thing I said to you was like, I would rather go through two straight days of Yom Kippur fasting <laughs> than, than go to their house and watch a, a fight. Huh? And, and I was like, yes, because if let's say we took them up on their offer and we go over to their house, you know the first thing they, they do is smoke us up and get us high on that bomb chronic. We know the bomb chronic is coming out. You know that's coming out. That's the first thing to come out. They're going to get us so high, and then while we're kind of high and dazed in the bomb and chronic, discombobulated, they will slit our throats and then cut our faces off and wear us to auditions. <laughs> Thereby destroying our brand. Yeah, we couldn't let our, couldn't dilute our comedy exactly. brand. Exactly, and so. This we, was the best part, is that we, Randy looked down at I the I looked card. down at the business card as they were driving away, and uh, the name of their act, and again, this is, the whole point of this is that at times we feel constricted about being twins. We, we, I feel like we spent our career trying to uh, subtly embrace it while pushing it away as much as possible. So and there is an independence issue in that, in just trying to stay, break free from the, the sort of the shackles of what this relationship is on stage. Or means to other people. So right. whenever we see people wholeheartedly embrace it, it makes us want to throw up. Exactly, or, <laughs> or say that like this is the way people, some people must see us as well. But I looked down at the card and it said the name of their ad and it was uh, two for the price of one, which I remember, <laughs> I remember for a brief second, I commented to Jay's and I looked at Jay and I was like, still too pricey. Yeah, on that. The next story we want to tell is about uh, sort of independence of another kind and thinking that you're independent of your family and whatnot, but not really being able to tear yourself away. So back in, and it has relevance because, you know, of all things, we're coming up on the anniversary of 9-11 uh, and it was traumatic. We were actually in LA at the time. And uh, we, that whole, like for some reason, that whole next year, we just didn't work. Or over those several, six, several months after 9-11, it just got hard for everybody on the fringe to get to get work in LA. And we were no exception. And so we were have, coming on hard times. And it came up on pilot season in Los Angeles where all of the new sitcoms that are being cast. And you want to be around there. And so, of course, naturally, having not worked for several months, we decided during pilot season to go home for the Passover holidays to St. Louis, Missouri. Great call right there. Just to, to Take us out of the game ourselves. Yeah, and so we go back home, and while we're there, we're like, we gotta work, we gotta do something. Let's go up at our old comedy club, the Funny Bone Comedy Club, and let's just do. Let's some, just do a set of comedy and boost the old ego. A little feel bit. good about ourselves, right? And so we called up the comedy club. We said, can we come up? It's a Monday night. Figured it's gonna be a small night. They're like, yeah, it's the best of St. Louis night tonight, and. Uh, you guys come up and close the show. Close the show, and I'll, here's the best part. He's like, seventy-five bucks to split. To split. <laughs> and Randy and I. At like, this point, we were like, all right, awesome. That's what. Okay. Yeah. Because that's thirty-seven fifty. I didn't have. Yeah, I know. I'm all over that. 
we were psyched at that point to get that money, and we were like, all right, we're gonna go. So we're getting ready to like leave, and uh, our parents were super, they were just amazing and supportive, and they were like, where are you going? And in that moment, I don't know, something in my heart was like, I just don't want them to come, and this is just, there's no reason for them to be there and watch us just work through our own, not having worked for a while, but up on stage sort of a thing. And, so, and they were like, no, we, we wanna know where you're going. And at that point, like, we were just like wanting to be like, oh, we're going to a strip club. I don't know, anything but going to do comedy, but we just were like, oh, we're going to do comedy. They're like, get your coats, let's go, we're going to do this thing. So they came with us, and we, we get to the show, and it's like, first of all, it's packed, packed. Like 300 people, and nobody has paid to get in, meaning they gave it sort of give out free tickets. Heavily papered, and it, but it was also like a benefit for diabetes for some reason, uh, which was also kind of weird how they worked that in. And again, we see, uh, as we walk in by the bar, like a row of St. Louis comedians who we kind of started out with, but who were still there. And uh, and we got that same sort of aggressive compliment. Yeah, we guys are doing really yeah, good well, LA, yeah. LA comedian, yeah, I can't spell Sklar without LA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look who's back. What does that mean? So again, that's the ten, that's the tenor surrounding us being back. So we go into the showroom to get our parents sort of situated in the back of the room, and we hear the host is talking about the thing being a benefit for diabetes, and some drunken fucking St. Louis redneck stands up and he's like, "Fuck that shit," <laughs> to, for a benefit. For a benefit. <laughs> Shoot, to diabetes? Then yes! Yeah, fuck diabetes! Fuck diabetes! Fuck it in the face with money. Exactly. You know I mean? We're gonna save you from diabetes. Or is he saying fuck the benefit system? Like the money never actually gets to the people? Maybe yeah. He's making a bigger statement about what it is to actually give money and then have it contribute and trickle down to who it gets to. I don't know. Maybe he was going that other way. I'm place. guessing he was just a drunk Yeah, right? a drunk dude so, was like, fuck doing anything good and got high fives with all the people. High fives from the people around him for that uh, brilliant So we're like, show. great, that's what we're kind of stepping into. And so, again, like good, a friend of ours, who, a guy who we knew who was a really good comic, came off stage, I remember, before us, and, he, and we're like, how was it? And he's like, don't take a breath up there. Don't <laughs> take a breath up there. So the guy comes to us, who's kind of run the show, and he, the floor manager, and says, okay, you guys, uh, meanwhile, there's like 15 comics going up before us. He's like, you guys good to do about 45 minutes? We'll give you a light at about 40. We're like, what? Whoa, no, whoa, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. 40, 40, 40 is a lot. Like, we'll just see, how about we do 30? Light us at 30, we'll see how it's going. We'll see how it's going, maybe we'll do 40. But whatever. So we get up there. First of all, the guy's introducing us, and at that point in the night, he cannot get control of the room. People are just talking, and he's like, "Do you want me to introduce these guys or not?" And we're standing there, and we're like, "No, no, no! Don't give up! Don't, don't give up on comedy! You have to bring us up there! Yeah, don't, don't, don't quit the comedy thing in the middle of our introduction! No, yeah, you can right quit now. the business after you bring us up." <laughs> He's like, do you want me to bring them? What do you think? Uh, fine. He's and like, then he, fine. And then he just like, they're, yeah, the they're realized comic, fine. You're, you guys, they're, they're funny and goodbye. They're LA. Here, go ahead. And he walked away. <laughs> and it was so weird. And the funny bone starts lighting up behind the thing on the camera. The neon bone lights up. And we're like, I guess that's our time to go. So we go up on stage and we start to do our material. Get into like, we just made some bad mistakes. We made some bad choices. It was years ago. But like, we started into like a longer story as opposed to just some tight jokes or just ripping on the crowd or whatever. And I can feel the crowd, Randy, from my side. I was, actually, I was on this side. And I could just feel the crowd like losing. us losing the crowd, like conversation starting across the crowd. Meanwhile, like, like losing everyone on that side, including our parents. Like we've lost our parents. <laughs> like, why are they 
talking Why are they uh, not supportive of us after they've been supportive for so many years? So it was just, it was, a, we were in a really rough spot. And I remember getting mad at you. I was because you're like, why? And he was looking at me like, why aren't you controlling your half of the room? Your business. Like, I. That's my half of the room suddenly because I'm standing up here. So some guy gets up and it's the worst thing you kind of ever want to deal with as a comedian. He's like, "You guys suck," and we were kind of like, you know, ignore just, it, just ignore it, on. just keep barreling through it because. On some level, when someone heckles you in a show, we understand this now, it's even if you put the person down, it puts the show into a different energy so that later on, if you ever have to tell a story about being vulnerable, no one fucking buys it from you. Because so, you just shut somebody down. Like, Why didn't you do that in that other situation in your life? So or even worse, it's like such a dynamic live moment that when you go back to doing material, it just feels like stale. So we're like, ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. He won't stand up again. He stands up again and he's like, I said you fucking suck. <laughs> And so, same put down. Yeah, we were like, well, wh why, 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 do, why we do we suck? suck? Why do you think we suck? And he's like, I don't know, you just do. <laughs> and he fucking beat us. Right? Yeah, he beat us. <laughs> he beat us with that put down. Yeah, because we were like stumped. We're like, yeah, I, I don't know how to fight that argument. I, he presented no new information, but yet somehow it seemed more salient yeah, at that yeah. point right there. So Randy and I in that moment, I, I don't know, like you hear about like someone, something snapping. Trigger points. Like a somebody just snapping and going off. Uh, I've never seen two people at the same time snap. We, like all the frustration of not having worked for like all this time, the fact that we were back in St. Louis and getting aggressively complimented. Like, the fact that, I'll, I'll put 9-11 in there. Throw that I was mad at it. I was mad. I was mad. Why they can't attack our freedom, so. Uh, <laughs> You hate us for our freedom. All right, so, so I was like, so Randy and I took all that anger and directed it into this dumb person. And we were like, I don't even know how we both sort of got on this wavelength, but I was you like. You started going and I just joined it. I was like, you, sir, okay, you are so fucking dumb. You dumb piece of shit. You don't, you're like a dog that has taken a shit on the rug. All over himself. And all over himself. Now it's all over his fur. But he doesn't know that He's what too he dumb did. to know you're that that's wrong. And we have to tell so you. So now we have to take your dumb face and rub it in the shit that you just made. You're fucking dumb, dumb. You're a bad fucking dog. You bad fucking dog. You're a bad fucking dog. I'll fucking throw you in that fucking cage, you bad fucking dog. You're a bad, get back in the cage, you bad fucking dog. Bad. Now, and it was, yeah. I mean, it went on for like a while. And meanwhile, everyone's clapping. And then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, our parents are here. And, our mom. Uh, <laughs> our mom, our mom who has, by the way, has said on more than one occasion, you don't have to curse to be funny. So. That's her outlook, and then here we are just disarmed this guy right here. And it was a great moment and a live moment. Crowd, like, cheered. It was the first time we had them, so then we start launching into another bit, which, of course, can never live up to what just happened, like we said before. And the guy kind of... And there's some murmuring, and then the guy's like, you still suck. And, like, <laughs> high five. And, like, nobody in the club is, like, daring to, like, take this guy out of exactly. the room. Exactly. I mean, because he paid so much to be there in the first place. Right. Uh, so, so we... You know, we just at that point, we we're give like, up. you know what, fuck it, we give up. We can't win this thing, we just can't win. Let's just get we out. We can't win it all on anything. On anything, let's just get out of here right now while we're still standing and alive. We just said, all right, goodbye. Thanks a lot Thanks for a lot. nothing, fuck walk, you, goodbye. Walk out off the stage at like 12 minutes, by the way. This is like 12, 
12 minutes into the 45 minute set, exactly. we're gone. Right past the guy with the $75 check who was Didn't like even this, take it, walked right, right past the check. Walked right past the row of like comedians who were so psyched to see us fail. Yeah. How'd it go up there, guys? Yeah, you guys are great. So we walk off, get out, get upstairs, and they're like walking in the indoor mall to get to the parking lot. And as we're walking in this long mall hallway, we're like blaming, blaming each other for in a, in a one word argument towards each other. I was like, you, 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 you. It's your fault. It's your fault. He was on your side. He was so what? I can't police my side. Fine, whatever. So we get up to the door and about ready to leave. We're so frustrated, so angry. This thing that was supposed to be an ego boost was such an ego compressor. It was a suck. Impressed everything out of us. We go to open the door to get the garage and then we stop dead in our tracks and we're like, Mom and Dad, they're stuck in it. So we gotta now go back down to the club where all these people who hated us, which by the way, we were the last act. So, so everybody's the crowd who hated us is now filing out of the club. Just booing us and flipping us off. Yeah, as we're yeah, great job, guys. Yeah. Right? And we're just like have to find our fucking parents. And so like, we go back down and it's like a mad scene from like Ellis Island where you're trying yeah, to find family. <laughs> Like they're just by a big plate glass window sitting down and dad is- They look like, like they're waiting for new last names. Exactly. Like they're just lost. Dad had like a chapeau. I don't know. So don't like know. a Belize. It was just the weird. Pillbox. I don't know what it was. So it was, finally we were just like, all right, just get, literally it was like Black Hawk Down. Get the fuck get out of here. Let's fucking go. We gotta get out We gotta now. get out of here. It's gonna blow in a second. Let's go, go, go. So our parents come up the stairs and like, you know, my dad comes up the escalator and our mom is still downstairs. I don't know why she's still downstairs. And our dad taking this opportunity of our anger to piggyback on that and just use that as a way to just yell at our mom. is like, Annette, get the fuck up here. He's now into it. He's now making a scene. He's making a scene. We're, We're waiting for them while they're making a scene. Randy and I start walking far away from that scene. Then we immediately duck into Ozzy Smith's restaurant. He's got a restaurant out there. Ozzy Smith, former Gold Glove uh, shortstop for the, uh, and Hall of Famer for the St. Louis Cardinals. And we are thinking about the only other time that we went to Ozzy Smith's is when we were 12. We really wanted to go to Ozzy Smith's. And uh, we, it was, our dad was like, never want to take it there because he thought it was overpriced chicken like, fingers. But we, he's going to be there to sign our gloves. He's going to sign our gloves, yeah. Why wouldn't Ozzy Smith be on the away trip to San Diego? He'd be in his restaurant <laughs> checking on stuff to like say Yeah, like marrying ketchups or right, whatever so we, you do. We're there and at the restaurant and Ozzy Smith is actually there. We were right. And we brought our gloves for him to sign. We were so excited. He's coming He's around. walking around the table. We reach. We go down to get the gloves. We go back to, to sit up because he's coming to our table. He's at our table. We're there and we have our gloves in our hands. Hands and our dad, before we can ask him to sign our gloves, is like, can we get some more rolls, please? To Ozzy Smith. He holds up a thing. So it's kind of racist. It was, we're thinking yeah. about that as our dad is coming back down the hall. And we're just, again, like wanting to be independent from our parents, but also feeling now, so tethered attached to, to them. them. Tethered to them as they're coming out. And like at this point, it's boiled over for us. We've just completely boiled over. We're like out in the garage. We're, of course, parked right by the garage because our dad, who had diabetes and wore these gigantic shoes, these like diabetes shoes that he had to have made in Louisville for $500 a and it's pair. Like he couldn't like walk fast and so everybody's walking past them even if you wanted to get there. And again, we're, we're just- outside standing by the door like I'll fucking punch somebody. I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. I will throw down, down all of my anger is bubbling up. I am ready to go and, and I, at this point where I'm really ready to fight another human we're, being. We're like squaring off. Like I swear to God, we're like, like biting our bottom lips like we're gonna punch it. And at the point at which we were about to engage in a fight, our parents come out, they get in the front seat, we get in the back seat, and they drive us home like we're 12 years old. <laughs> Thank, you Thank you guys, guys so guys. much. Yeah.
Butch Walker and the Black Widows with an amazing version of In Bloom by Nirvana. Uh, that brings us to the end of our show, gang. Uh, don't forget to visit sexcusemoi.com. Gorgeous site. Everything you'd need for a, a an elegant and romantic evening. They have sensual candles, erotic cookbooks, uh, just the best toys. Very sleek and classy stuff, folks. And with a $50 purchase and the promo code RISK, you get a free medium-sized bottle of Yes Organic Lube. Don't forget to put the yes in your cart. That's excusemoi.com, S-E-X-C-U-S-E-M-O-I.com. Our next show in New York City is on September 29th at the People's Improv Theater at 9.30. We will have Corey Pandolf, cartoonist for The New Yorker magazine, uh, the beloved Ophira Eisenberg and Christian Finnegan, two people who have told stories on this show before that are just among people's very favorites. And don't forget, if you're in New York, we also have our Risk Story Slam. That's where anyone can come and put their name in a hat, and I pull your name, and you get to tell a story, and you even get feedback from the audience. The next one is September 26th at Three of Cups in the East Village, and the theme of the night is Practical Jokes. That's all for now. Don't forget, folks, today is the day. Take a risk. And he likes to sing along And he likes to shoot his gun No, but you don't know what it means You don't know what it means for my sake Have you heard of Nordic Knots? The Scandinavian rug company that has become the insider brand gracing some of the most beautiful homes around the world? With rug designs by some of the world's leading designers and a signature collection of wool and jute rugs in modern colors? But Nordic Knots is not just about great design. Their mission is to make quality rugs that last, with no compromises. Goodweave certified, handmade pieces woven in all natural materials. At NordicKnots.com, it's easy to find a rug that's just right. A curated collection in lots of colors and sizes to choose from. Even custom sizes are possible. So, whether you're the type who loves the understated elegance of their luxury essentials or the bold statements from their top designer collaborations, you can't really go wrong. Oh, and don't tell anyone, but right now, you can get a free sample with the code INNERCIRCLE. NordicKnots.com.